following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray that as we are in your word and learning what you have for us this morning, that we would be open to hearing what you need us to hear. Lord, um, for me, I pray that you would make these words, words that point your people back to you. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. So we've spent time over the past two weeks talking about Jesus walks. We said first, Jesus walks with you, right? That the gospel is for you. That when Jesus goes to the cross, that is for you. That's not some separate thing that is happening to and for you. Then we talked about how Jesus walks with our church. We talked about how narrative church is one of a larger church body, and it would be a temptation for us to say, hey, we've got it right, it's all about us, but really we're looking and saying, no, we're one expression of how God has called the church to be. This week, I want to talk about how Jesus walks alongside of us and specifically how he walks in our relationships. And you may hear the word relationship and immediately feel baggage, right? Relationship is a word that brings baggage with it. So this is something I recognize now as I spend time with some of our um, former college guys who are now out doing ministry or in grad school. As I catch up with them, when I hear the word relationship, I immediately go to friendship. My friends. Because I took the relationship box and checked it off. Right? Like, Chelsea and I got married. I got that locked down. But what's funny about that is to think and say, I had to slow down and go, why do I not think about, when I hear relationship, why don't I immediately think of Chelsea, of that romantic relationship? Well, it's because I've gotten the space. I've, I, you know, I've kind of moved into a, a different phase of life. But it would be easy for me to step out of that. So as we hear the word relationship this morning, I want you to hear it covers everything. If you have a spouse, that's a relationship. If you have friends, that's a relationship. If you have coworkers, that's a relationship. It's about how do we interact with people? What is the gift God has given us in relationship? I have a good friend. His name is Phil. And Phil and I got to know each other while I was at um, seminary in St. Louis. Phil was in my Greek class. Starting off, we did fall Greek together, and we got to know each other, uh, mainly because we were the two causing trouble in class, and we got to be really, really good friends. I ended up being in his wedding. Um, we've gone on vacations several times now to just go visit him and his family. I'm the godparent of his first child, but Phil and his wife, Kyrie, have been such a huge blessing in our lives. Phil is one of the guys that I talk to, you know, if it's not once a week, it's every other week. We just catch up. How you doing? How's life? What's going on? But what's really frustrating about Phil is that when I start complaining about something, he knows how to ask good questions. I don't know if you've ever met people like this, that when you just want to start pitching your tent for a pity party, Right? You've talked to the vendors. 
you've taste tested and said, listen, here's the barbecue I want. This is the type of cake. We're going to throw a party and you're getting ready and you're just starting to invite someone into that pity with you. And what's really frustrating is when they start tearing down the party. Right, I, I didn't want you to come here and like make me a better person. I want you to be petty with me. And Phil has this annoying habit of when I am frustrated or when I'm tired or when I'm struggling with another person, he goes, all right, so tell me about this. And it's really frustrating because I hear his voice flip because I know he's thinking. So I know he's kind of going, I want to hear more. And the other thing about Phil is, dude is unafraid of conflict. And sometimes to a detrimental point. Phil is a person who will seek conflict. Sometimes that's my job in his life is I'm like, you know, hold it in, buddy. Like, just roll it back. You don't got to be mad about that. You're fine. But what's been frustrating is that the Lord has worked through Phil in my life to make me a better person. that in this relationship I have with Him, He doesn't let me settle for anything less than what God has called me to be. Which at times is just brilliant, and at other times you just want to hang up the phone. Thank you. Millie gets it. But we will go through our lives with these relationships with friends, with family, with co-workers, with significant others. And it's not always easy, but we know that God walks alongside of us in relationship. So often, there, there's a phrase, and it's used for marketing, and it's one I really have come to not enjoy, which is, what's in it for me. What's in it for me? I want to know when I hear your advertisement, what's in it for me? And in an advertising and marketing sense, I get it, right? I have sat in pitches. I think we have all sat in the midst of someone trying to sell you something, right? I still remember another friend of mine when he was kind of between jobs and he started being a salesman for some company and he calls me up and he goes, hey, do you have this problem in your kitchen? And I go, I don't think so. He goes, and you can tell he's reading. Ugh. Well, we all do. Okay. And you know, he gives me the sales pitch. And he's going through reading the lines of what it's supposed to say and what it's supposed to do and the miraculous thing that's going to help solve my life forever. And that's when I go, okay, what's in it for me? You don't... Don't read the script, just tell me what the thing does, right? Sometimes as a pastor, it's people that um, are outside of our kind of orbit from Narrative Church, but I'll, I'll get a call from uh, a someone and they'll go, hey, I want to sit and have coffee with you, which usually means I'm going on a mission trip and I need funding. And I'm like, all right, if, if you need funding, let's talk about it, but don't like butter me up to that point. But a lot of times when we look at relationship, when we look at friendship, we can start asking the question, what's in it for me? 
But as we look at the way that Jesus talks about friendship, the way he talks about relationship, he talks about it like this. In John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Our temptation, our first temptation when it comes to relationship, when it comes to looking at how we interact with people, is to try and make it about us. Is to look and to say, yeah, what I need is I like this friendship because of what it gives me. But the first thing that Jesus does is flip it on its head and he says, no, greater love has nothing than this, that you lay down your life. The broken record, you've heard it from me since narrative started almost seven years ago, is the dishes. Right? Like the dishes, not a fan. Like why? Just eat out of the pot. Right? Then you got one dish. Chelsea is mean mugging me from the back right now. But the dishes. And I am embarrassed with how many years it took me, with Chelsea's one of her one top love languages being service, to realize if I did the dishes, that communicates to her, I love you. Service is not one of my top love languages. So I can walk past the dishes all day long. Right? I'm like, oh yeah, those are dirty. You know? <laughs> I know they need to get done, but it's not that communication to me. So me learning to give up my life is going, just do the dishes. I'm not great at it. I fail at it more than I wish I did. And it's not like it's rocket science. It's dishes. When I think and go, if God says to me, hey, this is like the chief relationship in your life. This is your wife. And you want to know how to be a good friend? Lay down your life. The easiest way to do that is to scrub a dish. And how often I pass by it because I go, oof, I got things to do. Happened to me this week. I asked Chelsea, she started a new job. I said, hey, what can I do to help you when you get home that you can kind of rest and shut down. And she goes, you know, if when I walk in, if, you know, things could kind of be straightened up and cleaned, and, you know, so I walk into a clean downstairs. I said, perfect. What I have a habit of doing is coming down my long commute from upstairs to downstairs for lunch, and I make myself lunch, you know, a sandwich, you know, eat up some leftovers, whatever, and then I go, I'll get to this later. I'll get it before Chelsea gets home. And there was one day this week, I tried to lock her in the garage because I was running down going, my dishes! And I almost had the garage door locked and she opened it. And I was like, don't come in. It's a nuclear leak. It's just unsafe. But I want you to think about in your life. For me, it's, it's learning to serve. But where are those places in your relationship where Jesus commands, right? How many places does Jesus look at us and go, listen, I command you. But here in John 15, he says, my commandment is that you love one another. 
And greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friend. Now, what he is talking about overall is his love for you, right? He is saying, literally, greater love, there will be no greater love than what I'm about to do for you, that I'm going to lay down my life. But we know Scripture interprets Scripture, and we see all over Scripture, he says, you know, the servant is not greater than the master. So we are called to lay down our lives. Now, sometimes that's a huge deal. That may mean literally laying down your life for someone else. But this is a spectrum. Sometimes we want to say, oh, it is this grand thing. But literally, there's a spectrum of laying down your life. Because like I said, for me, service is not a love language. It is a learned habit. You can ask Matthew. The trick when we were kids, I'll time you. Hey, you going downstairs? I will sit thirsty until someone gets off the couch. But Jesus tells us, no, you sacrifice for your friends. So it can be as small as the dishes or as big as jumping in front of a car. So the question we have to ask ourselves is saying, if we are Christians, if we are Christ followers, if we are disciples seeking after him, then where is he calling us to love others by laying down our lives? Where is he calling us? Now, another thing that Christian relationship is, is it's sanctification. Right? So he's called us to love others as he loved. So his justifying love where he would lay down his life for us is there, but it is also a sanctification process, right? This is what I was sharing about how frustrated I get with Phil. Because there's this classic line from Proverbs. And Chelsea, I'm going to skip and go back. I put the slides out of order. So I want to look at Proverbs 27, 17. Which if you've been in church for a long time, you know it. If you're new to church, welcome. Get this on a coffee mug. Iron sharpens iron, and one man or woman sharpens another. Which sounds awesome. Right? It's like, ooh, knife's edge. This is, this is some great poetry. This is a good proverb until you look up what sharpening is. Sharpening is literally removing material from a knife, right? When you sharpen a knife, what it is doing, it is removing pieces of that knife to put the edge back on it. So when it says, iron sharpens iron, it is saying, listen, when you are in friendship, especially when you are in Christian friendship, there will be iron sharpening iron that if Jesus is walking alongside of us in our relationships, there are going to be times that it hurts. Because what you're going to do is you're going to look and you say, ooh, but I, that's my pet sin. You know, Jesus, I got that one under control. You, all this stuff, you can take care of that, but not that one. Right? We have those friends who will look at us and say, hey, like this is... Not what God wants you to do. And so often our reaction is, get out of my business. This isn't your gig. But literally, what Jesus says here in the Proverbs, what God is saying to us is like, listen, iron sharpens iron. It is going to be a rough process. It is going to be a process that removes from you 
the things that are not of me, and I've put people in your life to help with that. Now, what I'm not saying is that we all now can go around and go, listen, iron sharpening iron, you need to update those shoes. Right? Iron sharpens iron. You sure you need a second cup of coffee this morning? You know, iron sharpens iron. No, it's about saying, listen, there's a sanctification process. There's a relational process in iron sharpening iron. Because the interesting thing is as we live in that kind of style together, we get this from Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now you could read that as a brother is born for adversity. You're going to fight all the time. But I really think it's a brother or sister is born to be with you in adversity. When I walked through some of the darkest places of what infertility meant for me and Chelsea. I have five guys who are on my speed dial. I'm blessed enough that one of them is my brother. But I have some friends that I go to and say, this is what's going on and I don't know how to handle it. that they were born to be in that adversity with me. The blessing of a Christian friendship says, we sit with you in the midst of this. And we actually see this in the midst of the book of Job. So Job is doing everything God tells him to, and then everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. Well, his three friends show up, and they start lecturing him. They start going, well, how did you sin? What was that sin you did to deserve this? What have you done to deserve the wrath of God? And Job is going, nothing, I'm fine. Well, it, it all works out in the end. And God is actually showing up full on like Yahweh, Lord of armies. He's going to come and smite these guys. He is showing up to drop some lightning and thunder. Because he looks and says, you were not good friends. A good friend would sit in adversity with Job and say, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm here with you. Instead of saying, you're kind of a sinner, aren't you? You messed that up. So God is ready to be like, all right, we'll take care of this. And Job prays for his friends and goes, Lord, they're okay. They messed it up. That's a good friend. You see, friendship is made in Christ to be in a place of adversity. That relationship can exist in a place because we know how far God will go that if he says, listen, love one another, and he puts his son in the game, that we go, we can be a part of this too. We can live in such a way that we do the same thing. And finally, God says this in John 15. Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. In every 
religion in the world. God is separate and far away, and you have to do something to please Him. But the God of the universe, as He sets it down, sends His Son, and His Son looks and He says, you are no longer servants, I call you friends. I want you to imagine, you know the question people often ask, anyone alive or dead that you could have dinner with? Well, I want to say alive. I don't want to say a famous person that you're like, oh, that would be so cool to have them over for dinner. Because my movement is like, you know, Jose Altuve comes to my house for dinner. We're best friends for life, right? Like he's not leaving my house without us exchanging numbers. We're going to hang out. It's going to be great. But there's a separation between us. One of us has hit 20 home runs this year in Major League Baseball. One of us has watched those 20 home runs on TV. But there's a separation. But what God says is he goes, listen, that separation is gone. You don't deserve me, but I chose you. I want you to think about if that person that you would want to invite over for dinner. It wasn't just some kind of state dinner or where you like won a prize, but in fact they came and they became your friend and that become a lifelong thing. That is what God says to you. He says, you are no longer servants. You are no longer separate in some other thing. No, I have called you friend. And he then doubles down. He goes, you did not choose me. I chose you. Have you ever been in that moment where you look at someone and you go, are they really my friend? Do I really, you know, I feel so alone. And here Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. I chose you, man. Lady, everyone, like, I chose you. So there's no question in terms of what's happening here. I have chosen you. And so God stops calling you servant, stops saying you are far away. Instead, he brings you in and says, you are my friend. You are someone I want to spend time with, someone I want to hang out with. He says that to you. That's good news. Now you see, if we then look and say, how do I then let that out into my relationships? We start and we say, God has called me friend. And if he's called me, friend, then maybe what I can do is act in the way that he does to me towards other people. Maybe I can start living with my identity being friend of God, redeemed child, and if that is my identity, then in my relationships with my friends, with my spouse, with my loved ones, with my co-workers, I can start living in such a way that says, listen, I live from a place where I'm a friend of God, and so I treat you the way he treats me. And then all of a sudden you can look and say, so I can lay down my life and love in the way he loved because he is walking alongside me. That in my relationships, in my friendships, it will reflect him because he has called me friend. And as Michael W. Smith told us long ago, a friend's a friend forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. 
I love that there were a few chuckles on that. That was my 90s coming out right there. Maddie, tonight your homework. Google Michael W. Smith friends. Watch it. It'll bless your life. All of you. I know Maddie. Maddie gives me a hard time in youth group. She often reminds me that she was born the year I graduated high school. So, friendship. But seriously, if this, this old Michael W. Smith song, which is kind of hokey, it's definitely mid-1990s. He's leaning into that keyboard. But Smitty, he can, you know, he can spin a yarn. Because the truth is, we have something deeper than just being friends. We have something deeper. We have a Savior who says, listen, you are my friend. And if we are His friend, that enables us to sharpen each other, to sit in adversity together. And to be a people who instead of saying, what's in it for me? We start asking, what can I give to others? Can I look at the dishes as a way to love others? Can I look at my words as a way to love others? Can I look at how I act, what I do, who I am as a way to build up my friendships and my relationships? Because if God is my friend, then no matter what happens, life is good because He is with me. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks that You would call us friend. We pray that in our relationships, wherever we go, that that would be reflected. Lord, that as we love others, we would do it for their sake, not ours. That it's not about serving for the sake of ourselves, but serving for the sake of friends. Lord, from the simple things to the hard things, teach us to serve and love others. Lord, let our friendships and our relationships reflect the fact that you have called us friends. In your son Jesus' name, amen.